Hey, Seacoast, I want to welcome you to church this weekend, uh, especially if you're joining us at one of our campuses. We are so glad that you're here. Maybe you're online. Excited to have you with us. I want to give you a heads up. Next weekend is Mother's Day, and so you may need to make some preparations for that. Let's keep the mamas happy. Let's honor the mamas. If mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And so uh, we're also starting a brand new series next weekend called The Struggle is Real. We're going to talk about the struggles that moms face, but also struggles that, that all of us face in life and how we can overcome those struggles. This weekend, we're wrapping up our series called My Friend That Wants to Know. It's been a great series. You guys have set the agenda for this series. We've talked about a lot of different topics. We've talked about the end times and why do bad things happen to good people. We've talked some about relationships and mental health issues. And this weekend, I'm excited as we close the series, I've asked a guest to join us. Actually, he's not a guest because if you've been at Seacoast very long, you know Pastor Jeff Surratt. Pastor Jeff was on our staff for a number of years. He served in a lot of different roles, including executive pastor. In fact, if you're watching at any location outside of Mount Pleasant this weekend, that's largely because of Pastor Jeff Surratt's influence and leadership here at Seacoast. So we're excited to have him. I want you guys to give Pastor Jeff Surratt a warm Seacoast welcome as he comes and brings the word to us this weekend. Thank you. Thanks. It's great to be back with uh, my uh, my family here at uh, Seacoast, both my family family and then my family, extended family, friends, and all of you that I know and haven't met yet. Um, I want to say hi to those of you who are with us from one of the other campuses or watching online. I try to watch online once or twice a month if, is whenever I can. I uh, We live in Denver, so the time, time change is a little different, but um, glad you're along with us. Um, very glad to be here today for a couple reasons. Love Seacoast. The other reason is, is in Denver, where we live, they're just finishing up about 10 inches of snow this weekend. Um, this is to follow on two weeks ago, we had two feet of snow. Um, two feet of snow is a lot of snow. Yesterday, our son texted us a picture from Denver of his backyard covered in snow and said, Hope you're having a good time in the Charleston weather. And we, our answer is, yes, we are. Yes, yes, we are. Hey, this series has been uh, very interesting, very cool. Uh, um, my friend wants to know, and I've kind of followed along the series from afar. But there's a couple of questions that haven't been answered. I thought I'd bring them up here. Maybe you guys can help me out with a couple of these. Here's, here's what I want to know, okay? First one is, um, after they make styrofoam, what do they ship it in? You know, this hasn't been funny all weekend long, but I'm sticking with it. Here's one that the last service didn't get at all. Let's see where you guys are at. It's a question I have. Before they invented drawing boards, what did they go back to? <laughs> Nothing, huh? So do fish ever get thirsty? That's what I want to know. Oh, that's a dead one. All right. So rule of comedy, when you're dying, just keep driving on through. Just drive on through. Two more, right? So if a man is alone in the woods and there's no woman to hear him, is he still wrong? <laughs> final one, final one. This will be a little offensive to, to a few people, but that's okay. I have the answer to this one. Do you know how many Surratts it takes to change a light bulb? Only one. He holds the bulb and the world revolves around him. Oh! 
Those of you who are new, I'm a Surratt, so it's okay. I get it. I can talk about it. So we're going to talk this weekend. One more, one more thing. My friend wants to know, and this is one that I hear a lot, mostly from people who are maybe just kind of connected to church or maybe not really connected to church or just trying out this church thing. And it, the question is this, why does the church seem so obsessed with sex and greed? Why does the church care so much about who I sleep with or what my fantasies might be or what I buy? I mean, didn't Jesus say somewhere in the Bible, love your neighbor as yourself? Why doesn't the church just focus on that and leave my bedroom out of it, leave my purchases out of it, just let everybody be who they are? So we want to talk about that this weekend. Why does the church seem so obsessed? So here's what we're going to do. It's a very simple message today. And by the way, don't worry, this is not a PG-13 message, um, so you don't have to worry if your kids are here. But we are going to talk about this stuff a little bit. And here's going to be very simple. I'm going to tell a story. I'm going to read a couple scriptures, try to make some application, and then we'll be done. Okay? So would you guys pray with me as we dive in? Father, thank you again for the opportunity here at Seacoast just to speak, to share my heart, to learn together. Lord, I pray over the next few moments that you will speak through me, that we use my words to illustrate your word. So Lord, I, I just want to get out of the way and we give the next few minutes to you. In your name, amen. So my wife and I lived here in Mount Pleasant for 14 years. Uh, those of you that are from Mount Pleasant will know the Bell Hall subdivision. Those of you watching from another campus, Bell Hall subdivision is just maybe a mile from where we are right now. And we had one of the little houses in the front and we bought it, bought it new. And, and after uh, three or four years of living in the house, my wife noticed one day we had an island in our kitchen with a sink on it. And my wife noticed one day there was kind of a shadow on the back of the island. And she said, what do you think that shadow is? And I looked at it. I'm not a handyman. I am not a scientist. I'm none of those things. But I looked at it and I said, well, I believe it's, you know, it's the angle of the sun through the trees bouncing off the floor and shadow. She said, you have no idea. I said, no, 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 no. It's a shadow. Okay. So a couple of months later, she came back and said, you know, the shadow has gotten darker. I said, well, well, of course it has, you know, with the vernal equinox and the summer solstice coming through the, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. So we let it go. A few months later, she said, you know, the shadow is now really dark, and things are falling off of the island. Like the trim would fall off, and I would take it, and I'd hammer it back up, and it would fall off again. And then, like, the back panel started to fall off, so I would hammer that back up, and it looked like a dartboard back there. I had so many nails holding that up. Finally, she said, hey, you got to get somebody to come look at this. So I, I asked a friend who was a contractor to come in and look at it, and he said, yeah, um, that's not a shadow. In the professional terms, what we call that is mold. And the mold is so bad that it has destroyed the frame inside the island. The whole frame has to come out. In fact, all the kitchen cabinets have to come out. We have to go into your plumbing and find the leak because I didn't deal with the shadow, the mold, when it first started, we had to redo our entire, rip everything out of our kitchen and start completely over. That's kind of what we want to talk about a little bit today. We want to talk about this idea of dealing with the shadow before something can destroy our lives. And this is this idea of why is the church so obsessed with lust and sex and greed? Let's, let's, let's talk about that a little bit. I want to look at a scripture 
um, from Ephesians chapter 5. And if you have a Bible, open it up to the fifth chapter of Ephesians. If you have a device, you might look up version or Bible Gateway, turn to that. If you don't, that's okay. We'll have some scripture on the, on the uh, uh, screen, but we're going to talk mostly out of the fifth chapter of Ephesians today. And here's the third verse. Ephesians 5.3 says this, but among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Let me read that again. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Now, that's not a fun little verse. How many of you went over that verse today with your kids before they came to church? Anybody have that verse on your refrigerator at home that you, you know, hey, kids, before we go to school, let's go over it again. Not even a hint. You know, I have never had anyone come to me and say, you know what, Jeff, my life verse is Ephesians 5.3. When I'm in the car just driving, I kind of just want to run it over and over and over again in my mind. It's kind of a difficult verse. And when we read that verse, some of the reactions you might have is, your first might re- reaction might be, oh, great, now I'm going to get beat up again. I already feel guilty and got to go down that road again. Or your reaction might be, that is so out of touch with our culture today. 21st century America is so different from 2,000 years ago. Why are we going back to that verse, that letter, over and over and over again? It just doesn't connect with our culture. Or for some of you that have been around church for a while, you hear that verse and you're like, all right, he's going to go after the sins we ought to go after. We don't talk about those dirty sinners enough here at Seacoast. Maybe he'll do talk about this and this and this and this. And here's, here's my hope. My hope is that when we're done in a few minutes, that none of those reactions will apply. My hope is that we can kind of listen and learn and open our ears to something maybe we haven't thought of before to understand why does the Bible talk about these things? Why does the church address these things? So we have to kind of look at the definitions. Paul talks about three things. Paul is the guy who wrote this letter. He wrote it to his friends in a town called Ephesus. Then he talks about three terms. He talks about sexual immorality, impurity, and greed. So sexual immorality, the the Greek word that is translated there is a Greek word, porneia. And what that word literally means is, is anything that is outside, any sex that is outside of a marriage relationship. So pornography would fall under that. Sleeping with someone that you're not married to would fall under that. Uh, Adultery would fall under that. You could probably list several other things. In fact, a simple, easy kind of two-question quiz to kind of figure out, would would Paul call this particular activity sexual immorality? Two questions. One, could whatever we're talking about be construed as sex? And two, is it with somebody that I am not married to? The answer, if the answer to those two questions is yes, then Paul would say, yeah, that's sexual immorality. That's what I'm talking about. The second thing Paul talks about is impurity, sexual immorality and impurity. So what's the difference? Well, literally, impurity is moral uncleanness, moral uncleanness. And so immorality is physical, impurity is mental. Immorality is what we do, impurity is what we dream about. Now, the truth is, is if you're a human, if you're alive, if you're over a certain age, you deal with this kind of thing. You have these thoughts. And then there's nothing wrong with having 
an impure thought. It's what we do with those thoughts. Do we rehearse them? Do we think about them? Do we dream about them? Do we hang on to them? That's what Paul would call um, impurity. So immorality is what we do. Impurity is what we dream about. And then the third thing Paul talks about, he talks about sexual immorality, impurity, and greed. Literally what the Greek here means is a greedy desire for more. So Paul isn't saying that you shouldn't have a nice house or a nice car or nice clothes. He's saying, what drives, what motivates you? Is it a desire that I need more and bigger and better? Paul would say that's greed. And he wraps all these things up together, sexual immorality, impurity, and greed. And what he says is he says, none. Sexual immorality, impurity, greed. Nada, yet, not even a hint none. Does everybody understand? Okay, great. Hey, thanks for coming. Have a great weekend. Hope you enjoy your time. Here's the problem. Anytime someone takes one verse out of a Bible and builds a theology around it, be very, very suspicious because the Bible has to be understood in context of the entire Bible. We cannot take single things out and understand them all by themselves. In fact, I highly recommend that if you have not read in all the way through the Bible sometime in your lifetime, do that. In fact, it would be great if every year or every other year or every third year, you would just take some time and read all the way through the Bible, even the hard, boring parts, Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. We all kind of speed read those, and that's okay. But to understand the whole context. And so you come to this letter that Paul wrote to his friends and you pull that one verse out, you need to read the whole letter. You need to understand the guy who wrote it. You need to try to figure out why did he write it? What, what situation is he writing into? And so I, I, I recommend taking Ephesians and reading the whole thing at one sitting. It doesn't take long, less than an hour. You can read through the entire book. Um, I, I've taken this, the first chapter of Ephesians, and I've spent an entire month at a time just studying, reading Ephesians 1 every day to understand the context. And when you do, you realize that this verse that Paul had that said sexual immorality, impurity, greed, not even a hint, comes out of love. It is not God condemning, and it's not God saying you're guilty. It's not God trying to build this legalistic yes, no, black, white kind of thing. It's God saying, I love you so much. The first chapter, chapter of Ephesians, all Paul talks about is how much God loves us. He says God chose you. He loved you. He adopted you. He blessed you. He freed you. He forgave you. He sees you as holy and without fault. Notice, before Paul talks about don't be sexually immoral. He says, God has already sees you as holy and without fault. One of the most amazing verses in that first chapter is the seventh verse. And Paul says this, God is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. God says, I love you. I love you so much that even if you are immoral and impure and greedy, even if all that is going on in your life, I still love you. I sent my son to die for you in the midst of all of that. God isn't a condemning judge telling you you're bad. Stop it. God is a loving father saying, hey, I want to talk to you about some stuff that will wreck your life. I remember when our youngest daughter, our youngest uh, uh, child, uh, Brittany, was three years old, 
Um, we were pastoring a little church in Texas. I was sitting down on the front row of the church after church was over, talking to a friend, and Brittany and her little friend were running around the church. They were holding hands, and as they came around the corner, Brittany tripped over something, and, and she couldn't catch herself because she was holding hands. She fell on her arm, and it broke her arm, and it, and it was, her arm was, at, her forearm was at a right angle. knew immediately it's broken. She's screaming in pain. So her dad, I scoop her up, and we take her to the hospital. When we get to the hospital, they x-ray it. They say, yeah, it's broken. We're going to have to set the bone. It's going to be incredibly painful. What kind of loving father would allow someone to cause pain like that to their daughter? Well, if you have kids, you've been in a situation like that where you know this is hard, this is hurts, this is difficult. But in order for you as a child to avoid, avoid the destruction, what will happen if we don't do this? I'll let you go through that pain. This is what God is writing. This is what Paul is writing out is God's love is so great for us that as hard as it is to say, don't, no, don't do that. It's not because he's angry. It's because he loves us. And sometimes it feels like God wants to ruin our fun, right? I mean, God doesn't want us to enjoy life. God doesn't want us to have fun in these areas. Are you kidding me? The idea of sex, God came up with it. It was his idea. I mean, there's a lot of ways that humans could reproduce. Have you watched the National Geographic Channel? I mean, seriously, some of that stuff's weird. You know how animals reproduce? And no other animal in reproduction does it end with, woohoo! I mean, God, <laughs> God gave us the woohoo way to reproduce. He thought it would be a cool thing. He said, this is my gift. You'll love this. It is awesome. By the way, it's crazy powerful, very dangerous. I mean, you got to use it the right way. It's a blast, but only if you use it in the right context. And so God wants us to have fun, but he wants it to be safe and not dangerous and not destructive. But we don't see it that way. We see the attraction side of it. I mean, it's very attractive. The Bible knows that. Another place the Bible says uh, uh, sin is fun. Sin is fun for a season. You know, I remember when Sherry and I moved from uh, Charleston, we moved out to California, and we didn't know anyone out in California and, and kind of lonely. And, and I was working really, really hard, and Sherry was traveling with her job. And I remember one, one day she was on the road, she was gone, and I'd had a long day at work, I was tired kind of lonely, kind of feeling, you know, a little sorry for myself, and you know, I felt like, I, I want something fun, I want something exciting in my life, I want something that, just, you know, sure's out of town, she'll never know, I don't know very many people here, they won't know, and so on the way home, I knew there was a place that uh, drove by that, I thought, you know what, I'm going to go in there, so I drove up, I pulled into the parking lot, I looked around, made sure no one knew me, I, I went into the place, and I knew exactly what I, what I wanted when I went in there. And so I said, I'll take that cupcake right there. <laughs> <laughs> What'd you think I was going to pull out? <laughs> Man, I took that cupcake home. And Sherry wasn't there. You know, we had stopped there before. We had split a cupcake, but... This was all for me. Got out a big old glass of milk, and I said, man, that looks good. Does that look good? 
By the way, this is a salted caramel cut cake. Mmm. Mmm. That's good. Maybe better after lunch, but that's good. First bite of that cupcake was so good. The second bite was good. Third bite was, it was good. It was good. Fourth bite was, <clears throat> took a little while. But I was going to eat that whole cupcake because I was there by myself. I could do what I wanted to do. Nobody's telling me what to do. By the end of that cupcake, I was so sick. Oh, I was so sick. Sherry called later. How are you? I'm fine. Sin, lust, greed, impurity, immorality. It looks good. It is good. It is fun. And it'll destroy us. It'll destroy us from the inside out. In fact, if, if I were going to give a, a name for it, it it's, like, it's like soul cancer. It's like this thing that looks good and it's fine in the beginning, but it'll destroy you. Can you imagine going to a doctor and the doctor saying, hey, we found a spot and we're, we're pretty sure, in fact, we know it's cancer, but it's not a big deal. Don't worry about it. Just leave it, you know, live your life. You'll be fine. That'd be horrible. We, we would never go to that doctor. That, that's like when I saw the shadow on my island and said, ah, it's not a big deal. It won't, be a, it won't hurt anything. It destroyed my kitchen. A little bit of immorality, a little bit of greed, a hint, Paul would say, has the power to destroy us from the inside out. Because the reality is that these are just symptoms of something worse inside. Looking at pornography or or lusting for things you don't have, or sleeping with someone with, that you're not married to. They, they come out of something that's deeper and, and, and darker. It's this, it's this monster that lives inside of us. In fact, the Apostle Paul calls it the old self, the old man. He says in Ephesians 4.22, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, to, to put to death the monster inside, who is being corrupted by deceitful desires. See, my old self says, you're in charge. My old self says, if you want to do it, do it. Who else should tell you what to do? My old self says, you have to meet your own needs. And here's the deal. When I give in to temptation, when I give in to immorality, when I give in to pornography and greed, it feeds the monster inside and it gets stronger and worse. Back in the 90s, there was a movie, I think, called The, uh, called the Gremlins. Anybody remember the movie Gremlins? Gremlins were these cute little furry creatures, little pets, but they had rules. One of the rules was never feed a gremlin after midnight because when you fed it after midnight, it turned into a monster, and it was scary, and it would attack. And that's what happens inside of us when we give in to these temptations. It feeds the gremlin. It feeds the monster inside. That's why Paul says, not even a hint. See, the battle is won from the inside out. Here's what doesn't work in fighting the monster. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to do better. It doesn't work. Guilt and condemnation and shame, it, 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 it doesn't work. That's like, that's like when I would nail the board on the back of my island back up again, thinking that would fix the problem, and it didn't fix the problem. Somebody said once, how long are you going to work on what's not the problem until you work on the problem? So Paul gives us some great ways to deal with this monster inside that drives us. 
We're going to Ephesians 5 again. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your mind. Paul says we have to change our mind. We have to be made new in the attitude of our mind. So how do we do that? So it gives us kind of three ways, three statements. First thing, and this sounds counterintuitive, but if you want to deal with this monster of lust and greed and immorality, you start, the first thing is to be loving. To be loving. Paul says later in that same verse, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. So how does this work? Be loving. How does that address this monster? Well, we, we start in a loving relationship with God. You know, one of the reasons every single day I have to start my day with a quiet time with God. It, it's not that I'm holy or, or, or anything else. It's because I have to. I have to begin with that connection with God, that loving connection, experiencing His love for me. And then, and then the other, we, 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 we're loving toward God, but then as we think about what we're going to do, what, 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 what actions we're going to take, we ask, is this the most loving thing I can do? When we're alone in the hotel room on the road before we flip on the television, ask, is this the most loving thing I can do? When you pop open the laptop before you open the internet browser, you say, is this the most loving thing I can do? When you're getting ready to make that purchase, the clothes or the car or the house, you say, is this the most loving thing I can do? And you take it a next step. As you're facing that temptation, say, would my spouse agree that this is the most loving thing I can do? Would my future spouse agree? Would my kids say, you know what? What dad did on the road, that was the most loving thing he could do. What what mom did before she got married, that was the most loving thing she could do. So the first thing is to be loving. The second thing is to be transparent, to be transparent. Paul says in verse 8 of Ephesians 5, For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light, for this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. So the monster that lives inside lives in the dark. It, wants, it doesn't want anyone else to know it's there, it, only you, and doesn't ever want to be exposed. And so what we do is we drag the monster out into the light. We do it by going to a trusted Christian friend and saying, hey, I got to tell you something. Here's what I struggle with. Here's what I'm into. Here's what's happening in my life. Here's the temptation I deal with. Can, you, can I talk to you about it once in a while? And just doing that, just doing that and nothing else is a huge start to dealing with the monster. It's dragging it out into the light where it can't thrive. And then the next time you're facing temptation, you could ask yourself this question. What is it going to feel like when I have to go tell my friend I failed again? How is it going to feel when I describe tomorrow what I did tonight? And just that transparency, bringing it into the light, helps deal with the monster. So we have to be loving and be transparent. I want the last one to be, don't be stupid, but it has to start with the word B because in the preacher manual, you can do B, B, B. So I'm going to say, be smart or B, don't be stupid, okay? <laughs> Paul says it this way, don't act thoughtlessly. I think he would have said, don't be stupid. Just don't be dumb. Don't be stupid. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. So we're loving, 
we're transparent, we got to be smart. We know what the traps are. We know when we fall into trouble. So, so how do we avoid those traps? One of my friends, when he's on the road, he takes a picture, a framed picture of his family, of his wife and kids. When he gets in his hotel room, the first thing he does, he sets that framed picture up next to his television. So when he turns on the TV, he and the family are watching TV together. Um, I have some friends that their internet is connected to a service that emails friends whenever they go to certain types of websites, and so their friends know what they're doing. I have friends who who, who they, don't have, they don't have cable television. They don't preach against it. They don't say, you shouldn't have it. They say, for me, it, there's a temptation there that just isn't, isn't good. So I just don't have cable television. Whatever it is for you, I mean, you have different temptations, different challenges, but you're loving, you're transparent, and then you're just smart. You're just smart about it. Here's the deal. It's easy to talk about this stuff and for me to talk about them and you and for us to all think of the other people that struggle in these areas. But the reality is, is all of us struggle. Your struggle doesn't look like mine. Your struggle may have nothing to do with sex or it may have everything to do with sex. Your struggle may have to do with buying or greed or, or thought life. I don't know what your struggle is, but we all struggle in this area. It's like a story I heard of a man who was walking along and he, he fell into a deep hole. And while he was in the hole, a, a doctor came by and he called out to him and the doctor wrote a prescription and he dropped it down into the hole. And then a pastor walked by and he called out to him and the pastor took a Bible and dropped it down to him in the hole. And then a friend came by and he called out to him and the friend jumped down into the hole with him. And he said, why did you do that? Now we're both stuck. And the friend said, no, you don't understand. I've been in this hole before. I know the way out. We've all been in the hole. We've all been in the hole. Some of us are in there today and we're stuck and we don't know the way out. Others of us are not there today, but we've been there. We know the way out. Paul said in Romans chapter 8, there's no condemnation. Now there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And the reason he said that is we've all been in the hole. We all struggle. In another place, the same guy who wrote this letter said, I'm the worst sinner of y'all. You name your sin, I've done it worse. I, I've been in the hole so many times I've lost track. He says, not even a hint of sexual immorality or impurity or greed, not because I'm condemning you, I'm doing it, I'm saying it, because I know how much it destroys your life from the inside out. Let's help each other. Jesus gives us incredible hope. Jesus says, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. The thief brings the cupcake that looks so attractive, knowing that it's a trap that destroys. But Jesus said, I come that you might have life. I come that you might have fun. I come that you might know freedom. He says, I come that you might have life. And I love this translation that says, and have it to the full. God's not about cutting off fun. God's about awesome fun as we're set free from the things that destroy us from the inside out. So I just want to take a moment at the end here. I'd love for you, if you don't mind, just kind of close your eyes where you're at. And nobody, I'm not going to ask anybody to respond or raise your hand or anything, but I'd love for you to close your eyes just so we can have a little privacy. You can have a little privacy. The people around you can have a little privacy. It's a very personal message today.
It's not an easy one to listen to. And I know there are people here that if you were honest, you'd say, I, I'm in that hole. For you, it might be pornography that you go back to again and again and again, and you, you don't want to, but you do. For some of you, you're in a sexual relationship that you know is not what God has called you to. You know it's not the loving thing, but you don't know how, how to get out. For some of you, the more you buy, the more you want. The more you have, the more you think you need. And it's a never-ending cycle of unhappiness. Jesus wants to set you free. Jesus died to set you free. Why is the church so obsessed with sex and greed? Because God loves you so, so much. And today can be a step toward winning over that monster as we accept Jesus' offer of forgiveness and hope. Let me pray for you right where you're at. Jesus, we come before you not as self-righteous Pharisees. We come before you as sinners. Lord, some of us have never taken a step toward you, and today we do. We say, God, you know my past. I want a different future. I turn my life over to you. Some of us made that step years ago, and yet we continue to fall back into the hole again and again. Lord, I pray today that we will experience again your forgiveness, that we will know again that you love us in spite of, not because of what we do. Lord, I pray for people who are trapped and being destroyed, that today will be a step toward forgiveness and freedom. And Lord, we give that to the Holy Spirit because that's what the Holy Spirit does. So we turn it over to you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.